The Angie's List you know and trust is now Angie, and we're so much more than just a list. We still connect you with top local pros and show you ratings and reviews, but now we also let you compare upfront prices on hundreds of projects and book a service instantly. We can even handle the rest of your project from start to finish. So remember, Angie's List is now Angie, and we're here to get your job done right. Get started at Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I, or download the app today. Angie has made it easier than ever to connect with skilled professionals to get all your jobs done well. I absolutely love this because, you know, if you own a home, it can be really hard to maintain. It's hard to find people that can help you for a big project or a small. Well, whether it's in everyday maintenance and repairs or making dream projects a reality, it can be hard just to know where to start. But now all you need to do is answer that and find a skilled local pro who will deliver the quality and expertise you need. Angie has over 20 years of home service experience, and they've combined it with new tools to simplify the whole process. Bring them your project online or with the Angie app, answer a few questions, and Angie can handle the rest from start to finish. Or help you compare quotes from multiple pros and connect instantly, which means you can take care of just about any home project in just a few taps, because when it comes to getting the most out of your home, you can do this when you Angie that. Download the free Angie mobile app today or visit Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I dot com. Hi, guys. The show is going to start in just a minute. I just wanted to take a moment to thank you so much. This is our 100th episode, and we all want to say thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you so much. Yes, we. Uh, this is this has been a lot of fun to do, and I'll be honest with you. I I thought all you guys were going to turn on me around episode twenty three. <laughs> 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 but it's been a lot of fun, and uh, we are so grateful for the love and support. Uh, and we got another great show for you. Hit the bell. <laughs> Alexa. Who is Adam Ferrara? Adam Ferrara is an American actor and comedian known for playing the roles of Chief Needles Nelson on Rescue Me, Sergeant Frank Virelli opposite Edie Falco on Nurse Jackie. He was a co-host on the U.S. version of Top Gear. He has had three Comedy Central specials and his new album is called It's Scary in Here. Adam's new podcast is a big hit and available everywhere. Sounds like it could be funny. Sounds to me like 30 minutes you'll never get back. You're here. Now we can start. And we have a great show for you this week. My guest in the ADD interview is Emmy Award winning writer, director and actor. He wrote the movie Analyze This, America's Sweetheart, My Fellow Americans, as well as the TV shows Larry Sanders, Rescue Me and one of my favorites, The Job. It's my pal Peter Tolan. And we want to welcome everyone from our Talk To Me Tuesday family, which is our conversation we have every week, 9 o'clock Eastern, 6 p.m. Pacific. Go to my website, click the link, and join us. And our superfan shout-out is for Mike Savard. Say hi to Mike, everybody. Hello, Mike. Hey, Mikey. Mikey. And I would like to begin today's proceedings with a quote from an article I read in Psychology Today. What's that? Anger is an energy. Often mistaken for an emotion, anger is instead a reaction to other primary feelings. The brain sees anger as a threat, and depending on the individual's personality, they will either engage, ignore, or suppress this anger, either consciously or unconsciously. Well, I think it's what's behind the anger that matters. Yes. yes. Yeah. Yeah. Well, the whole point of me reading that is, Phil, I forgive you. What did, what did I do? <laughs> so, well, I, you're obviously covering up the immense gratitude that you have for me because I helped you out with your ass. Oh, my God. First of all, hello, by the way. Hello. <laughs> Welcome. Jesus. Right into my ass. Right into my ass. I, that's the only reason I can I can tell for you being so angry with me. Ooh, you're angry with him. Well, I am now. <laughs> I wasn't when I sat down. <laughs> what happened? Well, Phil had a colonoscopy, and thank God <laughs> I did. Yes. Is okay. No. Yes, my okay. ass is clean. Thank you. <laughs> I thought everybody would like to know. Yeah. But oh my God, it, you know, it, it wasn't without turmoil. I'll tell you that because <laughs> when I was filling out the forms of the prep, I read that you have to have somebody take you home after the procedure. 
You know what I mean? Oh, sure. And right away, I'm like, I get a, I get an instant anxiety attack because who's going to take me home? Adam, that's who's taking me home. <laughs> uh, who else? Who else is taking me home? Because here's the thing. He's going to show up on time. He's mm-hmm. my best friend. He's going to be there. Mm-hmm. He's loyal. Mm-hmm. He's, he's prompt. You know what I mean? But he's going to bust my balls. I know that. I know that's coming. Mark, Phil called, and I was right there. I le- I told Alex, I said, honey, I have to go. There's a problem with Phil's ass. Mm-hmm. And I didn't ask a question. No. Right. Did you say those words to her? I, I have to go. There's a problem with Phil's ass. I did. <laughs> <laughs> and I said, go do what you need to do, Adam. There you go. Is that like... When there's trouble with Batman, there's a bat signal that's in the sky. <laughs> yes. And if there's a trouble with Phil's butt, there's a picture of Bill's, Phil's butt in yeah. the sky. Is that oh, how that works? man. That's it. it it's, it's a Phil moon. <laughs> Phil moon. <laughs> okay, that's good. Thank you. <laughs> so I saw the Phil moon. <laughs> and you jumped into action. So oh, what happened? God. I got in the car. I got Phil. I, mm-hmm. I picked him up outside, I, and I took you back to your apartment, and he went up to his apartment, he was resting, and later that night, I texted him to see if he's okay. Uh-huh. Yeah, and that's when it began. That's when the whole thing began. <laughs> that was the beginning of it. And, and here's the call. I'm just checking on you. I'm fine. I told you I'm fine. Any leakage? <laughs> so what did I just say? I'm checking to see if there's any leakage. Well, I'm just okay, text after text after text. I'm, I'm relaxing. My ass hurts. Okay, I'm relaxing. <laughs> my butt hurts. My ass hurts. <laughs> <laughs> my ass hurt. I just had a scope up my ass. It hurt. <laughs> okay, fine. Well, that's why I'm asking. If there's any leakage, it could be dangerous. Listen, I have a doctor. If I have any concerns, <laughs> I'll call the guy that looked up my ass Well, just answer one of the texts and we don't have to do this. No, because you don't really care. You're just you're messing with me. I'm not messing with you. I'm just, I'm concerned. I read something from the AMA about colonoscopy. Oh, my God. Who told you to do that? I didn't tell you to do that, though. <laughs> Forgive me for being concerned about it. <laughs> Yeah, he didn't answer me back, so I got concerned. So I did a little research. Right, you didn't do research because you were concerned for me. You did research because you wanted material. That's why you did research. <laughs> what material? <laughs> Keep going. Okay. See, this this is why you're angry, because you cannot accept someone else loving you. Okay, so everyone knows who's listening. When I sat down today, I was fine. Mm-hmm. Okay. This is this is what anger is. It's just the brain sees it as a threat when I try to show him compassion. What's behind uh, Phil's anger? Oh, it's Adam. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> uh, look, Phil, I read this thing from the AMA about what to look out for after a colonoscopy. Would you like to hear it? No, I don't want to hear it. <laughs> All right. <laughs> he couldn't take it. He couldn't take yeah, it. Yep. Gotta gotta find out. Yeah. Not <laughs> enough. Because that's what he does. Yep. He gets yep. in your head. That, that's what Phil said. Listen. I, 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 see, see what you do? What? Because now I gotta know what it is. That's funny. Perforation and bleeding are two complications associated with colonoscopy. Perforation is a small tear in the bowel that allows intestinal oh. fluids to leak. That's why I'm asking you, is your ass wet? Oh, no. no, I don't have a wet ass, all right? You got your ass report. Okay, that's all you I got. You got your ass report? <laughs> <laughs> I, just, I just needed to know if he was okay. That's all you had to say, Phil, but you didn't want to answer me back. Yeah. By the way, this ass report has been brought to you by Cruise Into Wellness. <laughs> <laughs> Pretty much. <laughs> well, look, I was just I was just concerned there might be some problems after the colonoscopy. I, I just what to look out for. I even came up with a plan in case there was a problem. Oh, you're ready. Uh, yeah. Listen, if you're going to go to sleep, put down a white towel and sleep naked. <laughs> that way, oh, my God. Look, if there's any ass leak, it'll show up on the towel and they can run I'm, some tests. Okay, I'm not doing any of that. I'm going to bed. I, my, my, there's no leakage coming out of my ass. I'm fine. Goodbye. I'm going to bed. Good night. I hope you have a dry night. You hope he has a dry night. Yes. That's awful. (laughs) 
Look at him shaking his head. (laughs) This is what I deal with after having, like, you know, procedures all day long. You know what I mean? But you're okay. Yeah, I'm fine. I'm fine. I think he doesn't sound fine. No, you don't sound fine at all. I just, can we move on? Can we talk about other things? We will. Absolutely. Why is my ass a topic of discussion? It's not your ass. It's the anger associated with your ass is what we're talking about. Ass anger. But I'm not angry now. I wasn't angry when I sat down. So, Phil, did you actually sleep on the towel? Of course I did. This is what he does. (laughs) This is what he does to me. It's in my head. It's not in your head. I'm worried about it. It's in your ass. That's what I'm worried about. Oh, you're worried. Do you actually believe the shit you say to yourself? Yeah. It's not me. It's psychology today. Right here. Goodness. Right. Anger is an energy. It's just the way you channel your energy. You choose to channel it at me. Um, Peter Tolan was angry with Rip Torn on the set of Larry Sanders, and he channeled his anger in a creative way, and one of them won an Emmy for it. You guys listen to this, and we will see you on the other side. The brain sees anger as a threat. It's the main reason why we run from what may be a difficult conversation. That's why I'm asking you, is your ass wet? You're listening to the Adam Ferrara Podcast. This is 30 minutes you'll never get back. These are longer than 30 minutes. Don't bullshit me. Angie has made it easier than ever to connect with skilled professionals to get all your jobs done well. I absolutely love this because you know if you own a home, it can be really hard to maintain. It's hard to find people that can help you for a big project or a small. Well, whether it's in everyday maintenance and repairs or making dream projects a reality, it can be hard just to know where to start. But now all you need to do is answer that and find a skilled local pro who will deliver the quality and expertise you need. Angie has over 20 years of home service experience and they've combined it with new tools to simplify the whole process. Bring them your project online or with the Angie app, answer a few questions and Angie can handle the rest from start to finish or help you compare quotes from multiple pros and connect instantly, which means you can take care of just about any home project in just a few taps. Because when it comes to getting the most out of your home, you can do this when you Angie that. Download the free Angie mobile app today or visit Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I dot com. I got some stand updates for you tonight, March 25th and tomorrow and Saturday, the 26th and the 27th. I will be at the Tempe Improv in Tempe, Arizona. And April 30th and May 1st, I will be at the Arlington Draft House in Arlington, Virginia. There's a link to tickets right here in the show notes, or you can go to my website and click the link there. And as always, if you can make any of these dates, please come up to me after the show and let me thank you for all the love and support you've shown me and this podcast. All right, now let's listen to Peter Dolan. Pay attention when I'm talking to you, boy. ADHD, it's not just for kids. Nice boy, but doesn't listen to a word you say. Welcome to the ADD interview. It's not that you're not interesting, it's just that I can't focus. And my guest this week is... Oh, look, a bird! My guest this week is a multi-Emmy award-winning writer. He's also an actor, a director... You know him from the show's Home Improvement, Murphy Brown, Larry Sanders, The Job, Rescue Me, The Man About You reboot. His movies include Analyze This, Analyze That, American Sweethearts, What Planet Are You From, and Any Actor Is Grateful When He Puts Words in Their Mouth. He's one of the funniest guys I've ever hung out with, and he auditioned for Saturday Night Live while Al Franken ate a sandwich. (laughs) Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, it's my pal Peter Tolan. How are you, baby? I am good, and I can't believe you remember the Saturday Night Live story. Yeah, it was great. Oh, and I want you to tell everybody right now. Well, that's the holy grail, and this was quite a while ago. Mm -hmm. This was probably the year that Franken and Davis produced, which would be Gene Domanian, maybe? I think so. Something like that, or the year after, I can't remember. So, uh, but the fact is, I got the call. I don't know. I don't even remember how. Mm-hmm. And I thought I was such a clever bastard because I thought, well, you know, I'm really not that great of a performer. So I will write some stuff mm-hmm. and I'll bring it with me. And I had a briefcase, you know, I always want to look like somebody's accountant as opposed to being funny. And so I brought it with me. 
and I had my killer audition right. that I had performed a million times in Minneapolis and all over the place, which was what we call the Reader's Digest condensed version of The Wizard of Oz, where I did the whole movie mm-hmm. in about six minutes, did all the voices and this whole thing. So I, I'm ready, man. I've got the material. I've got the thing. I go there. They bring me into the inner sanctum and I can hear the person, the guy mm-hmm. in the room auditioning ahead of me doing the Wizard of Oz. <laughs> and I mean, I wish I was kidding. It was like it was like an absolute nightmare. <laughs> oh, here's the guy. I don't even know if he was funny. I don't even know. So then I go in and it's not like I'm going to wing it. Right. right. I have another tight five minutes that I'm going to do of different characters and stuff like that. So I just, you know, died uh, probably. I mean, right. you know, and it would, but the indifference of Al Franken eating a chicken salad sandwich. Yeah. And I just remember, you know, that big, and then just stuff dropping out of it, you know, <laughs> And then I was so just like crushed, probably, I completely forgot the briefcase and left it there. In but, the room? And left it there and left and couldn't get back into the building. I couldn't get back through security. So it's like, you know, lose, lose. Yeah. Both fronts. Did, both you, fronts. did you ever get the briefcase back? Nope. Okay. I only remember now, maybe it's good. I only remember one piece that I wrote, mm. which was like a movie, you know, like a parody of, of something, which was about this guy living in a post-apocalyptic world Mm -hmm. who went around, you know, so you saw the the monster trucks and stuff. It was really, you know, and and the desert floor and the the dust kicking up and these horrible scarred people and everything. And then the truck would stop and he, the boots would hit the ground and then he would walk over Mm -hmm. and then he just put a little rouge here (laughs) and maybe some eyeliner and a thing. And then the title came up, which was Mad Max Factor. That's um, funny. That's the only thing I remember that was in that briefcase. And oh. thank God I never saw it on Saturday Night Live. I would have been, hey, wait a minute. <laughs> you, yeah, you fucks. I think, and I, I don't know if to be fair, but you you started as an actor, and maybe because of that audition, you had great empathy for the audition process. Because one of my favorite auditions and one of the kindest and aware auditions I've ever had was the one I had for the job. Yeah, you know, for many years, and I had stopped doing it probably because it was so miserable. Mm. For many years, once a year, I would audition for something. <laughs> right. I would call a friend who was a casting director and say, Listen, I just want, I don't want to be considered and it shouldn't be like a complete waste of time uh, on the people's thing. So it it could be something, maybe I could get it, right? but I'm not really interested in getting it. I just want to audition to remember freshly the help that people go through going into that room, just so I could have that empathy on the other side of the table. And I did it for for years. It was always awful. Well, yeah, but the fact that you did it is so commendable. And the fact that it does resonate because my audition is I had to fly back to New York. This was I I went on tape. And anytime you go audition on tape, you think, well, I'm never going to see these people again. Right. How did I know? Leary was watching it. So he actually saw it. So I got I got summoned. So I got summoned to read with Dennis at Chelsea Piers. I flew to New York and it was just you and Dennis and a cameraman. That's as civilized as you can be. What yeah. I didn't know was the camera was feeding upstairs to Disney, ABC, and all the suits. I think, it was, yeah, that may have been the case. That may have been like you had somehow gotten to the last level of auditions mm-hmm. where we're really just showing the people. Yeah. Maybe with a couple of... Uh, yeah, it was just a cameraman, you and Dennis, and that was it. And we did the scene as written, and then we improv, and that's when we started making each other laugh. Yeah. Well, you auditioned for network stuff. Remember, you know, back in the day when you go into that room yeah. and it would be like the casting people and the studio people and the network people. And there was just no oxygen in the room. Sure. Like you, how anybody was able to do their best work in that situation. It was impossible. Yeah. But I remember that. And I remember improv and I remember, Peter, when I left, I went, it doesn't matter if I get or don't get this job. I just had so much fun and did the best I could do. So I yeah. left. And that's when I and, and I ended up getting the gig. I don't know if you remember. I got the gig. I do remember that. You okay. did look familiar to me. And I thought it was just from Rescue Me. But I, as you started to tell the story, I realized you were in the other show. Well. Um, you know, I got to tell you, and I'm sure you hear this all the time. I know Dennis and I do still. That as much as people go, oh, I love Rescue Me, I love Rescue Me, there's, you know, I really respond to the person who comes up to me and goes, yeah, 
but the job. Yeah. The job. What I mean, I was heartbroken when that went off the air and to the point that I never watched it again. And I would say about three or four years went by and I watched it and I was stunned at how good it was, how good the cast was, how much story we got into those 22 minutes. Yeah. And just how good it was. I, I, I was like, this is doubly unfair. Yeah. Better <laughs> than I remember. I have the same response of pride and the fact that people go that deep and know that about us. I yeah. just did NCIS and Scott Williams, the executive producer, he yeah. was a huge fan of it. And I remember telling him, I said, we did a cable show on network before it was even done. It was just a half hour and it was it was yeah. a different look and feel. What I remember more than anything is always thinking like, this is never going to work on, you, you, you know, remember we were on ABC. Mm-hmm. So you're just like, okay, let's just see what else is like this <laughs> yeah. on ABC. And there was nothing. There no. was, you couldn't, so that meant you couldn't program it. Mm-hmm. You know, you just like, you know, you were on the Titanic, but we had a fucking blast yeah. doing that show. Even though, you know, when you think back on that show and, and I think back on it, mm-hmm. I tend to think of some of the more miserable days. There was one day with you and Lenny in the car. Oh, the De Niro with one. The dog, with the, the, with dog the, with the robot dog, and it was 90 degrees. Nine, oh, you guys, it was just, we couldn't get, we would maybe get a take before we had to stop and mop everybody down. Yeah. Lenny was just like, looked, he was on a spit. Yeah. He just wanted, you know, it was terrible. This was big Lenny Clark then when he was heavy. Oh so my God. It was yeah, worse. Now he's, a, now he's a sylph. Yeah, uh, he was sweating like he was getting audited. <laughs> yeah, it was something else. Now, you can tell me if I'm wrong, but I tend to remember that as a good time. Yes, uh, one of the best, and I tell people this all, all the time, as much as I loved Rescue Me and I, I, I loved everything I've done, those the most joyous professional experience I had. Those, yeah, those, and, and those there was episodes. nobody who, you know, other than Leary, of course, who was like an asshole. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, hopefully, hopefully he'll hear this. Yeah, he will. I remember, but did, did, the joy that was coming out of us, we were singing. We were singing as a group at a photo shoot. I remember singing the Commodores for some stupid reason. Yeah, there was nobody. You know, sometimes always there's a, there's somebody who's just a dick. And yeah. You're like, oh, well, we gotta we, we have to endure this, but we didn't have that. It was like everybody was on board. Yeah. They sort of understood what we were doing. Mm-hmm. And we're there 110. percent It was really great. Yeah, just a just a great show. I remember when we wanted to keep a line that was on the edge. Uh, <laughs> uh, we would huddle up, and and you would go, "Okay, we got to come up with three worse lines than this because this is the one we want." <laughs> yeah. So we had to come up with more disgusting and more rude shit to get the one in that we wanted. Which is why I, I was always happy to have you and Lenny around. Storehouse. <laughs> I could just say, all right, the three of those, please. Within, within seconds, they'd yeah. be sort of there. I got to tell you about how much I, uh, how much I, how I think of that show mm. is that I'm the kind of person I'm sure. In fact, I know mm. that if you looked around my house, you would not know what I did for a living. Right. I don't put up posters of things. It's enough for me. I mean, in one corner, the Emmys are out, you know, in yeah. case anybody wants to pick them up. Um, but I don't hang movie posters or things like that. And if I do, it's there's some sort of irony, like they're in the laundry room or something like that. Right. In my house, a poster from the job. Yeah. That was the only thing from my career I have ever put in my house. You know what I got yeah. from the job? I wow. stole, and I forget, I was I was in a, a meeting at ABC, and they had the board up, you know, the magnetic. <laughs> I stole them when we were on the schedule. And I was in there, and I stole the magnetic thing that said the job, and I have it in my apartment in New York. I stole it from the network. I said, you fuckers are going to cancel this thing, but I'm taking this with me. That's right. You're not going to need it. (laughs) You dirty bastards. You're not going to need it. God, that was fun. You did something for me on that show that I still remember to this day and is one of the most important things that has ever happened to me as an actor. Take one. We were doing the episode uh, with the foot. Okay. Yeah. And I remembered I came from stand up and, and multi camera. Did the first take, cut, you went like this, come in. And you, <laughs> come in. Just just come in. And you took a walk with me. He's like, I right, where, where he goes, You're funny. Where'd you come from? I said, Stand up and sitcom. He goes, Have you ever done a movie yet? I said, No, I haven't done any movie. I said, I haven't done he goes, Have you ever done any single camera? I said, No. He goes, Okay. You can do this. Don't be funny, just be you. Okay. I went back and I did it, and that settled me down. And I looked over to you, and you went like this. You gave me a thumbs up. 
And from that point on, I'm like, oh, I get it. I'm not playing for the left. I'm playing for the yeah. And that was the clearest note I ever got. If you look at it, I mean, just your progression mm. from that point to the to to rescue me. Yeah. It's like it's night and day. I mean, you were doing really solid, dramatic work. Forget the funny stuff. You mm. can always do that. But really solid, dramatic work in rescue me to the point that I was like, oh, oh, gosh, he, he's really good. He can do that. <laughs> Uh, you know, it was a bit of a, su- a surprise just that you had that range. Yeah. Well, Dennis, thank you. You guys gave me that opportunity. When you were directing Rescue Me, you also gave me one of the clearest director's notes I ever got. You didn't get up out of the chair. You were at Video Village. You just yelled out and said, that one didn't make me laugh, fucker. <laughs> <laughs> I'm very polite, as you know. And I went, um, I got the it. Thing, the thing that I, the thing that in terms of just a sort of brusque direction, I mm-hmm. guess it, would describe it. It was always for Lenny because, yeah. you know, Lenny would do a thing. He drove me crazy because he would do a thing like he would do takes. Yeah. You know, he'd be in a scene and somebody would say something. And he'd go like that. He'd shit his whole, his whole, like that. And I go, Lenny, come here, come here, come here. Don't you ever do that again. Don't you ever let you see that. Do that again. This is not animated. Don't do that again. <laughs> <laughs> he would go, all right, Peter, Peter, Peter. okay, all right, <laughs> Lenny would have his lines on cardboard. You remember the cardboard? Oh, God, yes. Okay, so for those, Lenny Clark, when he's working, he takes his lines and he places them on a cardboard box and he holds up the cardboard. And that's how he learns his lines. So we were staying in New York. He was staying uptown at the Phyllis Club and I was at my apartment. I went to pick him up. And we had to go to work. So the, the, the van came, picked me up, and would drive. Go, Stop! Stop! What? He, go, he gets out of the truck. Boy. No, not only he didn't forget it. He saw a bunch of boxes. He goes, that's great oh. cardboard. And he stopped. Oh, my God. But, you know, what was the idea behind that? Because do you remember why? Because it was really just the script page right. taped onto the cardboard. Yeah. Well, what he, marked he, up. he would cut out his lines and taste them on the cardboard. So it wasn't the whole script. It was just his lines. So what was the magic of the cardboard? That I don't, I still don't understand. That. Okay. How long have we known Lenny Clark? And that's your question? <laughs> uh, I got to tell you what I did to Lenny. You know, when he had a stroke, yeah. uh, he had the stroke. And mm. so I heard. And so first I think I sent him a nice message and said, hey, man, I hope you're okay. Yeah. Don't do any takes while you're in the hospital. Whatever, whatever the hell I said. Mm. And then I just sent gibberish. Hoping that he would think he had another one. <laughs> oh, God, is that funny? Just trying to trigger a second one, you know. <laughs> oh, yeah, he was a force of nature, Lenny. He was oh, just. Oh, God, yes. Uh, yeah. I, so on the job, I figure my job is just to feed the shells into the cannon on the tank. <laughs> Just to keep it going. Yeah, and just try to keep your hair, like, somewhat <laughs> quaffed as opposed to just completely blown back by the force. Yeah. I, okay, so Lenny Clark. we're going to, I, I think it was a Rescue Me premiere. It was something. Lenny was going to be there. And I have, my, my wife now is my girlfriend. And uh, I, <laughs> I said, okay, you're going to meet my friend Lenny on the red carpet. He's going to be loud. He's going to be inappropriate. Uh, but he's one of the best guys in the world. She goes, oh, okay. So we're walking down the red car, but we take the picture, and there's Lenny, and, you know, Adam, screaming, just Adam. <laughs> Get over here, pal. I went over, I gave him a big hug. Pleasures are going off. I said, Lenny, I want you to meet Alice. He goes, look how beautiful. Thank God you're here. And he kissed her right on the mouth. And she's stunned standing there, and I went, see, I told you. <laughs> yeah, that does it. it really, you know, if you met him, and something like that didn't happen, you'd feel cheated. Yeah, yeah. I used to love when you were on the set of Rescue Me, especially when you directed, because you were there. But even when you weren't there and we needed a line or something, we would be in the trailer, be in Dennis's trailer, and we would be throwing stuff around, and then it'd be, right, we, 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 we got to call Peter. So we would call you, just that we need a better line here, or we had something here. <laughs> and we would all pitch stuff, try to make each other laugh. And then we'd ask, where are you? And and you wouldn't answer. And then I remember hearing, I said, well, I wish I could show you what else is on my my screen. As I'm watching you, I have Naira bets open, and I'm watching the feed from Aqueduct. So <laughs> some things don't change. Do they? I, no, they don't. <laughs> but yeah, you, you like the ponies. I, I remember talking to you because I grew up on um, Long Island, and we used to bet Roosevelt 
which were the sure. Trotters. Yep. Which is basically just a money laundering scheme. I mean, that's yeah, that's, that's not. It's not. You can't figure that out. No, even the horses know it's rigged. <laughs> horses are like, I feel bad about it. They're looking into the stands, going, "Look, I feel bad." Yeah. Uh, but what can I do? Yeah, it's my job. I'm sorry. The so, guy's hitched up to me. Is I? I'm stuck. The horses, like the horses, like the call that De Niro took in Goodfellas. He's gone, and there's nothing we can do about it. <laughs> But we used to bet the horses because we had one of the jockey stepsister rented an apartment from a buddy of mine on Long Island. I'm not going to say any names because I don't know what the statute of limitations are. Anyway, right. she was a junkie. So she couldn't pay the, the rent all the time. Yeah. And the guy yeah. knew. He didn't want to throw her out. He's like, listen, I only got this much, but my stepbrother's going to have a good day. Which means he's going to finish somewhere in the money we don't know. The odds are in our favor. So you bet it across the board. You bet yeah. it win place a show and you're going to make some money. So we made money that way. And I remember talking to you about the thoroughbreds and you were like, well, it's like a puzzle. You got to put these pieces together. I go, yeah, I, I, I got a jockey. He's got a junkie sister. That's my system. <laughs> Everybody should have that. Cause that sounds like, you know, especially if you actually made money, that's, yeah. that's the other part of it because everybody says, yeah, I got to, I got a friend who's a junkie and they got a thing and whatever. <laughs> and then they give you the pick and then it just, it finishes up the track. And you're like, Hey, I thought you were a junkie. You know, it just doesn't, it's not fair. And when you're, you're working and stuff and, and you're a big collaborator, I mean, you collaborate with Dennis, Paul Reiser on the reboot of rescue me. Um, and mad about, you. Mad, about you. mad about you. Oh yeah, he's right. Mad about you. And Larry Sanders. And in talking <laughs> to you just in bullshit and you went, Larry Sanders was, most was me. You, the, you, I think you, you said that was the most of you that you put into that show. You know what I think? What it was, was, you know, I had come to California not too many years before, mm -hmm. and I didn't watch television that much. So I just sort of said, my first wife, my first of several wives, mm -hmm. we lived in a small apartment in Brooklyn Heights. And so, you know, if, if somebody watched television, that meant everybody watched television. So she watched what was on CBS on Monday nights. And that was one of those things with Murphy Brown. And I at least knew it was clever. Mm -hmm. You know, people were sort of, it was somewhat heightened, but the it was a smart show. Right. And so when the time came for me to stop working in the theater and make some money in television, I said, all right, that's the show I want to work for. Now, not knowing you didn't get to pick like that. <laughs> yeah. You know, so, so I wrote a Murphy Brown spec script and said to my agents, okay, make sure Diane English sees it. Cause that's the show I'm going to work on. <laughs> well, uh, you know, against all odds, that's the show that I did work on. So but I did it, and it's sort of like, you know, like Babe Ruth. I pointed, yeah. and I said, that's the show. And then I did it, and I was like, this isn't it. Mm -hmm. Like, it's good and everything, but this isn't me. This right. isn't the voice that I've got in here that I want to really get to. And it wasn't until Gary, until I met Gary, and he sort of said, this is what I'm trying to do, that I just went, yeah, I know what that is. Like, I know what you want to do. Right. And we became, we became, you know, very dedicated collaborators. You know, so much of that show was mo obviously mostly him. Mm -hmm. But I was right behind him and probably wrote more episodes of that show than anybody else. I think I'd have to go back and look. I left after three seasons, technically, mm -hmm. and they were in trouble. And uh, they called me up and they said, would you... Would you write episodes even though you're not here? And I said, okay. And so they would call me and it would be like a Friday. And Gary would call me and go, all right, we need, we got nothing for Monday. Right. And I go, all right, well, what do you got basically? He goes, well, Hank does this and Artie does this and then Larry does this. I would write it Friday night into Saturday, bring it to his house on Sunday. We'd go through it. He was like a laser. He was a blind laser because mm -hmm. he couldn't see, you know, without, so he'd have his glasses off the read and he would have the script like that. <laughs> and he was like a laser though. And he'd go, that should be moved to here. That's a good joke, but mm. this could be better. Bah, right. bah, bah, bah. And it would go to table on Monday. So I get the call Friday, goes to table on Monday. That happened more than once. Fuck. That's just the shorthand that we had in terms of that show. And in terms of doing like, an adult show. And I would say to my compatriots on Murphy Brown, they'd be like, well, you know, you're lucky because you get to swear. And I go, yeah, but that's not what it's about. Mm -hmm. 
you know, that's adult language, but the plotting is adult. The storytelling is adult. Yeah. It's not sitcom storytelling. It's not ladled out. It's you have to come to it a little bit. It meanders a little bit. It's more like real life. So I loved that. I loved it. Yeah, that sitcom is like, you know, multi-camera is like you have to get it's a heightened emotional reaction to burnt toast. You know, it's just <laughs> exactly. Yeah. And you got to get out and, and any kind of success, you got to get out before they have the baby. Once they have the baby, get out, get out. And that's Murphy Brown. Yeah. They had the baby. I got out. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> Goodbye. Yeah. As soon as she had the bed. Goodbye, everybody. You said what Gary was trying to do, and you said, I know what that is. Can you articulate that? He wanted to see behavior. He wanted the humor to come out of behavior mm-hmm. and, believe it or not, out of neurosis. I know that's hard to imagine from Gary. Yeah. From neurosis and just to show that weird show business dichotomy where, you know, it's, it can really be summed up in those talk show sections where they're like chat, 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 and the show's on. And then it goes to commercial and yeah. the two people sit there and they have nothing to say to each other or, they, you know, it's just difficult to come up with something yes. to say in a casual way. And there's a lot of bad behavior in the Sanders show. And I love that. I mean, I just love people sort of behaving badly or, in, you know, out of self-interest and selfishness and jealousy and whatever. I just love that stuff. Yeah. And you don't see that as much on network because everybody has to sort of be nice. Yeah. And the thing I love is when you also the unexpectedness of what happens in the commercial. First of all, you switch from from tape to film when you go there, which I thought was fucking brilliant. Just texturally yeah. was brilliant. That's scary. Yeah. And one of the things that just made me laugh is when they go to commercial and Carol Burnett leans over oh. to Gary and goes, I saw your balls. I saw your balls. <laughs> that, is, that is the thing. You know, she, and I've told her this, because <laughs> we had her on, um, we had her on Mad About You. Right. And she came to the table read, which was lovely. And we had a little bit of a pause because somebody was running late. And so I took that moment. I took the floor and I said, I just, you think you know Carol Burnett. And you do. You know her as the first lady of American comedy and you grew up with her. And but here's who she is. And I told a couple of stories. And one of them was that we couldn't get anybody to do Larry Sanders at the beginning. Mm -hmm. My memory of it is writing a script with a specific celebrity in mind, sending it to them. They said no. Getting it back, right? Changing it for another celebrity, sending it. They said no. Mm -hmm. Changing it again. Because, you know, you'd say to people, well, who am I playing? And we'd go, well, you, like a version of you. And that was like no No. good. You can't do that to actors. We were desperate. So we both knew Carol. Mm -hmm. So we called her. And uh, and she said yes. And she did that show. And the very line that you mentioned I bring up all the time of Carol saying, I saw your balls, which is just like whatever. (laughs) But after we were done filming, I said to her, Carol, I was uncertain that you would do that. I was a little worried that maybe we would offend you, Mm -hmm. but I definitely thought maybe this would be sort of off limits. And she said to me, oh, honey, she calls everybody honey because she meets everybody in the world. And who can remember all those names? Oh, honey, it wouldn't work on my show or for my audience. But when I'm in your sandbox, I come to play. That's great. I love that. I just love that. That's fucking great. When That's I'm in great. your sandbox, I come to play. Oh, she was gr- just, just great. Yeah. She turned it around. And mm. then when Carol did it, suddenly it was okay. And people were clamoring to do the show. To do the show. Yeah. I was going to say, when did that switch? Because that became. It was her. Yeah, it was her. Okay. Yeah. You also gravitate. You're, you're a great collaborator and you collaborate with people that are nuts. You can, you just do. I mean, I've seen it. I've seen it with the guest. I'm like, oh, Jesus Christ, how does he ride that horse? If I could ask you to tell the story how you got in a fight with Rip Torn and he won an Emmy. Oh, my God. This is just show business is how, how unfair show business is. Now, Rip was obviously a wonderful actor. You can mm-hmm. just tell by looking at the show that he was sort of indispensable. And at one point, he was such a fucking pain in the ass that Gary and I felt we had no other choice but to haul him into the office and sort of read him the riot act, which mm-hmm. was unlike, you know, Gary is not, was not confrontational. 
Right. So the idea that he was going to sort of have to take Rip to task, which is really like being in the wild and trying to take a bear to task while it had, you know, clamped down on your leg. <laughs> I don't think you should be doing that. Um, <laughs> and it was so funny because Rip came in and we just said, Rip, I mean, Gary said, Rip, you are abusive. You are belligerent. You are all these things. And I mean, if I could just show you what Rip looked like across the room for us, the legs were spread apart. He was leaning into us. It's like, bring it, fuckers. <laughs> he, he was not going to be chastised at all. It was just like we were just two mosquitoes, yeah, you know, he had a knife annoying his, him for that moment. He had a knife in his teeth. <laughs> oh, yeah, pretty much. You know, it was like in a fucking T-shirt. With a, it's like Rambo. Anyway, who knows what was going on? But I do believe there was some, some liquor mm-hmm. in play. And he was... He was an abusive person. He would pick somebody on the crew or somebody else in the cast, never Gary, never me, Mm -hmm. but it could be anybody and target them. Right. And then move on to the next person. You know, you never knew when the storm was going to pass for that person. And so people were upset. And so it got to be about, it got to be late in the season, like the last three shows. And we did our table read, and then Gary and I went back to the office with the director, and we talked it through, and then we came up with these cuts and things like that. Mm-hmm. And the director said, oh, could you guys, could one of you come come with me to give these notes? And I actually said, I must have known. I just went, yeah, I don't think I should. They just knew that things were coming to a head, and my level of frustration, and you know, it takes a lot for me. I'm a very even-tempered person. Anyway do the notes. We cut one of the other actors part pretty much in half for the week and one of Rip's lines. And I hear Rip across the table and he's going, well, I guess I shouldn't have come in this week. Mm. I guess I should have taken a vacation in Tahiti. (laughs) And I said, Rip, I just cut the other actors part in half and you're missing one line and you, and then I just went, Mm. I mean, I completely lost control. I am screaming at him. Fuck you. Mm. Fuck you. I am sick of you. Get the fuck off this stage. I don't want to look at you anymore. Now he's up. We're both up across the table. Right. Oh, you don't talk to me like that. Fuck you. No, fuck you. (laughs) Well, you know, this goes on for about 40 seconds, which, you know, in fuck you time is a long time. Yeah. 40 seconds of fuck you, fuck you. And I see he's not leaving. So I just wait and I go, let's just go back to the notes. Okay. So we all sit down and we're doing the notes and I'm not looking at him. He's over there on the other side and I'm not looking at him. I'm talking to the director and so forth, but I catch the eye. I think it was Janine Garofalo across the table and she goes like this to me. She just makes a tear that I made him cry. Ah. So we finish the notes and he gets up and he goes, guess I'll call my agent. And he stomps, thump, 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 all the way off the stage. The stage door closes. Everybody at the table goes, like they've been waiting. Yeah, they've just yeah. been waiting yeah. for so long for this motherfucker to get it. Right. So I talk to him later and I say, look, man, I shouldn't have lost my temper, but you fucking deserve it. And you are dis- disrespectful to everybody here. So I'm no longer going to respect you by watching your work. So for the last two episodes of the season, when you work, I'm not going to be here Mm. because I'm not going to help you in any way be better. And I didn't. Okay. But around that time, it was the, they had the Ace Awards. You remember the the Edsel of awards? (laughs) Yeah. Look at the spade from a deck of cards. Yeah. And they were the the most dangerous award ever given. You know, the Emmys can be dangerous because they have those prongs up the back. But this was a very heavy award shaped like a spade that came to a point. Mm Mm-hmm. And naturally, you would hold it by putting your fingers around the base and holding it upside down. And people would drop it, and the fucking thing would go through. <laughs> like a lawn dart. It, it, it was heavy. It yeah. was really heavy. But I'm sitting there, and of course, it's like 8 million awards in half an hour. It's one of those things. Mm-hmm. And I'm sitting there with my second wife, and I'm going, I can't believe I lost my cool. I can't believe it. It's still bothering you. Still bothering. Because I'm just not a person who gets yes, angry. Yes, I, I, this we know. I try to be a professional person. I know that's hard to believe, but I try to be a (laughs) professional person in the fact that I had lost my cool. Mm -hmm. And I just kept thinking about it. And the more I thought about it, I went, I'm going to write this. 
I'm going to make this an episode. Okay. So now I see Rip again at like the Emmys. You know, it's like, you know, we all, everybody sees each other only at these award ceremonies. And now it's the alcoholic thing where he comes up to me. I'm sorry, my brother. Oh, you know, the whole thing. And I'm, and I'm sorry. And we're all sorry. And I go, I'm going to write a show for you next season, but I don't say anything about it. And the show is that Artie has a fight with Larry. He's disrespected and he has a fight with him. So he spends the whole night in the studio alone. Mm. And it's really a tour de force for Rip because he gets to do everything. He quotes Shakespeare. He sings. He's got a karaoke machine and he sings at center stage on the talk show set. And during the course of the night, he meets a janitor who's from like Romania or something like that, who speaks very little English. So the idea of it was, and it was not said, Mm. the idea of it was, these are two people who work on the same show, who can't communicate. And they come together in the story, and they share a bond. I think he gives them his watch. Mm. Artie gives the guy's watch. They share a bond, and then they have a fight, and they break apart. (laughs) So the whole thing was, this is you and me, Rip. We're supposed to be working on the same show, but we can't get along, apparently, because you're a cunt. But whatever. (laughs) So I wrote it, and, and he never knew. He never knew that's what it was about. Right. And we had not won an Emmy for anything on that show. <laughs> we were uh, nominated many times, but we had, nobody had won an Emmy. And sure enough, he wins the Emmy for that episode. And I'm just like, fucking show <laughs> How is that fair? How is that fair? How did you feel when that show was being shot? At what point did you experience, if you did it all, any kind of healing or any kind of, uh, this is now over for me? moment no i didn't um you know there was no you know again it goes back and we explored this in rescue me but it goes back to alcoholism and something and rip definitely had problems which did not abate in his later life sadly um you know rip would would say to me you know i was spied on the fbi is still spying on me Mm. from the nixon days and you kind of go Okay, all right, well, if you say so, that's great, whatever. But, you know, it was always something. It was always something. We had Burt Reynolds on the show as a guest, and they assigned, the producers assigned a PA to Mr. Reynolds, and they just said to this kid, just get him anything he wants. Mm -hmm. And the kid said, well, Mr. Reynolds, I'm supposed to get you anything you want, so if there's anything you need. And Burt Reynolds said, I want a bottle of vodka and a bottle of soda. And the kid didn't ask anybody this is what he wants. He right. just went out and got it. He did his job and delivered. So now Burt Reynolds, I will skip to the end of this. We're shooting a scene. Burt Reynolds has a complete fucking meltdown on stage in front of the entire crew. We're shooting the, the, the certain scene. He sort of be standing behind a fake brick wall. He's clawing at the fake brick and tearing it off and throwing it at the crew and just a complete fucking meltdown. What the hell kind of vodka did he get him? I have no fucking idea. <laughs> I happen to be standing right next to Rip. Right. And so now you imagine seeing that thing, right? And he storms off. And I just look at Rip. And Rip looks at me and goes, Bert's a troubled boy. <laughs> and I said, this is the pot calling the kettle black. <laughs> Bert's a troubled boy. <laughs> You'd know, wouldn't you? I got to tell the the coda to that story because it's heartbreaking. And Mm. I've seen this several times in my career in show business is now we had to decide who was going to go upstairs and talk to Bert. And it was our line producer who, who drew the short straw. And he went up and the door was slightly ajar. And he knocked and said, Mr. Reynolds, no answer. Mr. Reynolds, no answer. He pushed the door open and... Bert was sitting in a chair in the middle of the room with his head down mm-hmm. and just said, I was the number one box office star from 1973 to 1977. Fuck. Yeah. That's what he said. He's not the only person that I've had to go into somebody's dressing room and mm-hmm. they are weeping and saying, I had a career and now I'm doing this. Yeah, but when your work becomes your identity, you're fucked because, you know, you're beholden on other people. That's... Two things pop into mind. One was there's no great emollient with fame, but when it's gone, you don't know who you are. Do you remember the Julia Roberts story 
when we were shooting the job. Yeah. I think when you ran into it was me. Yeah, yeah you I, ran into I Julia because I remember. You, yeah, you you were tell, you were telling us in the trailer. Yeah, it was interesting. You know, I'd worked with her on America's Sweethearts, I guess, a movie that I wrote with Billy Crystal, and there was a dinner party in New York before that production started. And I went and she was there. And that was the first time I met her. And she greeted me the same way that you would greet the plumber mm. when all your plumbing was in perfect order. Uh, there was sort of like no need. <laughs> no, no, it was some some level of indifference. Right. Even though they said, this is Peter. He wrote the script with Billy. It was like, hmm. yeah, you know, like, that. thank you. Everything flushes. Everything flushes. Um, why are you here? So anyway, however, I will say that then when we were in production and everything, I would show up and again i probably had a had a briefcase and mm -hmm. thing because i always was i don't know why i did that at that time but it, i always did i never looked like a writer i always looked like i was there to do somebody's taxes and she busted my balls a little bit about that so i i saw that side of her where she was actually engaging and funny and whatever we were shooting on the job near union square i think mm -hmm. down in that part of town on a weekend and, uh, you know, nobody was, it was early in the morning. It was very cold, as I remember. Nobody was about. And a woman walked past me on the sidewalk and I saw it was her. Right. And I, I started to go, hi, hi, I was going to hi, Julia, or whatever I was going to say. And she just went like this. Yeah, she, she shook, just her, shook head. her head. Don't, don't do it. Because there were other people around. Yeah, if, it, yeah. if it had been just me, maybe it would have been okay. Right. <laughs> but I, I think it would have been okay. But because there were so many people around and she had someplace to go, she just, you know, on a Sunday morning, she was probably walking through New York going, hey, isn't this great that nobody sees me? Yeah. She just didn't want to break that streak. Yeah. That's a, that's a prison when you can't even say hello to somebody and you have to, you have to walk with that awareness, you know? Oh, and I didn't, and I understood it. Mm-hmm. You know, I understood. It wasn't like I went, what a bitch. But I, I just went, yeah, I get what that is. Yeah. Well, my friend, I cannot thank you enough. I have had such a good time working with you, and I hope we get to do something else again, because you always make me laugh. And, uh, and I'm grateful anytime you can put words in my mouth, brother. I hope we can do it. If only, if not for us, then at least for Lenny, who still calls me <laughs> and says, hey, hey fucker, hey, I, got, I just want one more bite of the apple. That's all I need. I want to write. That's all I need. That's it. Yeah. I get to see. I just did the uh, the dogs playing poker with uh, with Leary. So we got to hang out for a couple of days and do the, the cartoons. And, stuff. and we're telling stories. Yeah, uh, yeah. Do you remember? Were you there uptown when we were, we were, we were shooting in Harlem? And uh, and we were stopping the lights. And uh, we had we had to lock up traffic, and we were causing people traffic. And we were all in a car, and this lady walked by and go, "What the fuck is going on?" And then looked down and saw Dennis, and just went, "Oh, you're those Dennis Leary motherfuckers." <laughs> <laughs> Nothing like shooting in New York. Yeah. yeah. Oh, it was great. And I I remember when the guy with the food cart was banging, banging on the food cart, so we would pay him to go away. Yeah, 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 yeah. I remember a guy, uh, one of the, the days we were shooting that legless guy in the wheelchair in the hills in Harlem. I mean, impossible, impossible. So cold. One of the, the local residents came up to me and goes, what's the show? And I said, it's about New York City police detectives. Mm -hmm. And he goes, what's it called? And I go, yeah, I don't think we have a title yet. I don't think we come up with a title. He went off and came back with a list. <laughs> this guy comes back with a list and I go, uh, okay, let's take a look. Uh, NYPD Blue. I think that's taken. Um, it just it was like Adam it was fantastic. <laughs> Only in New York, right? Yeah. Oh, it's so good to see you, my brother. Best to you and the family. Thank you so much for doing this, and I hope we all pass cross soon, my friend. Take care of yourself. The ADD interview is brought to you by CruiseIntoWellness.com. CruiseIntoWellness.com for all your CBD needs. Now, let's say you're shooting a TV show on the streets of New York. You're blocking traffic, and the people that live there are getting a little upset. Oh, you're those Dennis Leary motherfuckers. This could cause you a little anxiety. So why don't you do what I do? Take one of the gummies they have at cruiseintowellness.com. They also have edibles, tinctures, pain creams, bath products, pet products, and you get 20% off with the coupon code ADAM. Yes, 20% off anything they have at cruiseintowellness.com. Go, feel better. This is Peter Tolan, and that was 30 Minutes I'll Never Get Back.
I had so much fun catching up with my friend. Yeah, sure sounded like it. Man, I just, as a writer, I, I look up to that guy so much, man. There's not one thing that he's done that I haven't admired. Peter got angry at Rip Torn. Rip won an Emmy. Phil gets angry at me. I have the opening of a podcast. That's all I got out of it. <laughs> I love the fact that he took that responsibility. Yeah. To protect everybody else. I mean, I tried to do that once when I, when I, when I had Soren Injustice. Mm-hmm. It didn't work out the same way. I, uh, <laughs> I was in college and I was doing my laundry, mm-hmm. right? And uh, the laundromat was next to a bar. Now, happy hour... I would I would go do my laundry at happy hour. Did you pick this laundry because of that situation? No, I, I could walk to it from my campus. Okay, okay. okay. So happy hour, they were dollar well drinks, right? So mm-hmm. I would do my do my laundry at happy hour, and the dryer had one of those slide. You know, we put the quarters in, you line up a dollar fifteen oh, yeah. quarters, and you slide yeah. it in, it activates the dryer. Mm-hmm. Well, I figured out all you got to do is get a couple of hangers, you cut them in half, you put the hangers into the slide uh, where the quarters <laughs> go, you slide it in, and you could save a buck fifty. Two loads of laundry, that's three bourbon and Cokes right there. Okay, Your Honor, I just want to bring up two things. One, that's genius, first of all. Secondly, (laughs) I want to examine the phrase, I sort of figured out how to do this. Like, you just happened upon that knowledge? Just, oh, yeah, if you do this, you do that. Come on. Where'd that come from? When I I was a kid, I saw my cousin do it with with one (laughs) quarter. And I figured, well, if one quarter works, I can do a buck and a half. I just need more hangers. Okay. Ferrara legacy. (laughs) Mm -hmm. So, uh, so I saved three bucks. That's three Berman and Cokes. So while my laundry's done, I was sitting there at happy hours in the corner of the bar. Game was on. I was happy. There's a couple at the end of the bar, mm-hmm. day drinking. And you know it's a problem because they're not doing their laundry. <laughs> right. So this is, to, to it's me. It's not it was, a cocktail laundry. Yeah. This was, this was a common occurrence in their life, right? <laughs> so I'm sitting there watching the game. All of a sudden, a guy got up and smacked this woman in the face. Ooh. Ooh. Wow. The bartender turns around, and I, right away, I'm on my white horse. Oh, what are you doing? You don't hit. I went, I came over, and the lady hit me in the back of the head with her purse. <laughs> what? Yeah, mind your business. And she hit me in the back of the head. And apparently this woman was a brick salesman because she had samples <laughs> <laughs> that knocked me in the back of the freaking head. Wow. And the guy started cursing at me. And I said, okay. I went back. I held my head. I went back to my drink. Said, you guys work this shit out. Yeah, well, yeah. Yeah. You did the right thing, but those people are crazy. Well, I'm not doing it again. So. I, you know, Adam, I actually think that you would. You you have that kind heart. Yeah, well, if I do, I ain't turning my back on that lady. <laughs> well, that's hard. <laughs> and I use the word lady loosely. <laughs> well. No good deed goes unpunished. No kidding, yes. man. Goodness. What? Every time you do a good thing, you something happens? What does mm. that saying mean? I, yeah, no good deed goes unpunished. Yeah, yeah. Well, why is that? I mean, you do a good deed, right? It should be good. Why is that? I'm guessing two people in dysfunctional relationship drinking in the afternoon. Well, there, well, yeah, okay. okay. Yeah. 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 All right. Yeah. I, I get it. I hope the bartender at least hooked you up with a free drink for that. No. You know what he did? He came over. He goes, I should have told you they do this every freaking night. <laughs> Look, the next time I'm going to put on my cape to go save somebody, it's going to be yelling at Riptorn for being abusive on the set. That seems. <laughs> that seems safer. Yeah, you're yeah. safer that way. Sure. Yeah. And how about how about uh, Peter's empathy for going on auditions? That's crazy cool mm-hmm. because I know how stressful it is to go on an audition for, yeah. and for him to volunteer and want to do that just to, so he knows how, you know, actors feel yeah. or just to remind him. Yeah. That was literally the coolest thing. And there were so many cool stories out of that. Mm-hmm. The fact that he would continue to do that mm-hmm. just so he would know what it feels like to be on the other side of the table. Cause you talked about that, that audition as being like, you know, the e- I don't want to say the easiest audition, but the most comfortable that you ever were, because oh, that's the, sort of the vibe that he puts out there. Yeah, the job audition, because they set the conditions to make it comfortable for the actors. Mm-hmm. And by the way, it's smart. And that was also the biggest bet I ever placed in my life was that audition. Well, what do you mean? Me and Phil did a play. We wrote a play together. Uh, and we, we put it up out here in L.A., and mm-hmm. I ended up getting a talent deal out of it. What that means is that they give you money. Mm-hmm. Here, here's the money. Here's the scripts. Find something, and we'll see if we can... We're oh, so they sort of like they lock they lock lock you up for yeah. a little bit, right? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. It's like they a holding you. Yeah. Right. So mm-hmm. they give me this money. I can't do anything else, right? So I, in the meantime, I read for the job, and they wanted to test me on the job with Dennis. Mm-hmm. So 
I wanted that job because I really liked the script. So I called my agent. I said, listen, I want to give the money back. And my agent hung up. <laughs> of course they hung up. Yeah. What a shock. <laughs> no. What? Get money, not give back money. Yeah, he hung up. So uh, and then I called my manager. I said, listen, is there any way we can, uh, we can give the money? But there's nothing here. I want, I want to take this shot. And he's like, are you sure? I said, what are you on his side? So <laughs> I gave the money back. How much money are we talking about, Adam? It was enough to make the agent hang up. <laughs> so, so a lot. I'll, 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 put it the, I'll put it this way. We would have had a really cool car. Okay. All right. <laughs> I'm glad that it turned out the way it turned out. Yeah. So, so we gave the money back, mm-hmm. and you have to, you have, to have a, uh, a contract set up before you test for somebody. Because what the producers don't want is, that's the guy we want. And then you jack up your price. So that's why I had to- Yeah, I understand that. I had yeah. to have, uh, I, I, had to be, I had to be in first position with them. So mm-hmm. I did that, and uh, the biggest, better place in my life, I went in, and I got the gig. That's so great. Yeah, and because I didn't realize that all the suits were watching on TV, you know, I was just it was just it was just me, Dennis, and Peter, and I improv something with Dennis. And when I heard that first laugh from him, I went, "Boom, I'm in." Yeah, that must have felt good. It felt great because he got where I was coming from, and uh, and he liked it. And Peter laughed as well. Now, did it help that Peter wasn't eating a tuna salad sandwich? It was stuff falling out of his mouth. How funny did that was help? That? that? That was so crazy. I thought, yeah. what are the odds of the person in front of you doing the same oh, Wizard of Oz bits? <laughs> that, that's a little Damn, funny. he's doing the same butt. That's crazy. And he forgot his briefcase. And the only thing I could think about, Adam, yeah. was that being your briefcase with your notebooks in it and someone finding those. Yes, and then sending the authorities to the house. <laughs> because I, yes. Yeah, because I've seen those notebooks are full of colors and like plans. It's it's like you're building a rocket <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> or solving world problems with electricity. I don't know what it is. Yeah, I, I got a lot of problems. <laughs> <laughs> Didn't I see those same notebooks in the movie Seven? Yes, yes. I'm, I'm, I'm Kevin Spacey without the Me Too stuff. I, I just want you to know, before we made it real serious, I made sure to skim through a few pages. And no, they're not like seven, that's, but. That's good. Got to kick the tires a little bit. Yeah, yeah. got to kick the tires. Yeah. <laughs> How often is the name Phil in those journals, by the way? Just oh, you're in there. Yeah, I'm sure I am. You got your own color. As a matter of fact, I need to make a note right now. Phil is not aware that anger is not an emotion, but an energy. <laughs> And he unleashes that energy on me, and I can't take it personally. It's not my friend doing it. It's his ass. Okay. (laughs) And you know what else? Peter, I don't think Peter ever heard the story when you first met Lenny. Yeah. On the red carpet. Yeah. He really did that. I said, he's going to yell out something inappropriate. He's going to kiss you on the mouth. But he wasn't surprised. (laughs) What? He wasn't surprised. No, I wasn't either. I knew what he was going to do. Yeah. Adam! Adam, everybody turned around. <laughs> everybody turned around and goes, look at you. Oh, you, you look, and who's this? Look how beautiful. Come here. Boom. Kissed her right on the mouth. Yep. yep. I have never met Lenny Clark. And in my mind's eye, that's exactly how he is all the time. Adam, hey, oh, not ignoring everybody in the crowd around him. Just it's you and him. It's you and Al. It's just, <laughs> hey. Oh, God, I love that. Yeah, that's him, man. Dad, remember the Rescue Me tour? Yeah, in Florida. Yeah, it was. I went to see. I was you. It was Lenny. It was Dennis, and uh, it was just a great show. And then the show was over, and I was going to come meet you guys backstage. <laughs> Everybody gets up. The lights come on. People are leaving. All of a sudden, Lenny comes back on stage and he starts yelling, "Where's Phil Tag? Where the hell is Phil Tag?" I'm like, "Holy shit, dude!" People are like, "Hey, Lenny, the show's over. Go home. Where's Phil Tag?" I'll tell you one thing: the freedom that Lenny has just to be himself. Mm-hmm. I would do anything for him. Yeah. That's just that, in my heart. That's his charm. He's got, he's like a planet with his own gravitational pull. <laughs> I loved it when he told the story about meeting Julia Roberts on the street. And I love that he had the empathy to sort of just respect that her wishes. She just wanted to be completely, you know, invisible in yeah. that moment, but just outside in the world. And again, it's just, you know, a guy gets it with everybody. I just thought that was a really, really cool moment for both of them. He's thoughtful. Yeah. And yeah. he has great situational awareness, you know, to know that it's not about him. It's about the situation. And what you guys didn't know about that Julia Roberts story and, and Peter didn't say it, but I'll let you know. She was shit faced. <laughs> <laughs> she was. She was doing her laundry. <laughs> 
I, I lent her a couple of hangers so she can get a couple of more pops in. Uh, oh. <laughs> that was awfully nice of you, Adam. Thank you. <laughs> After all, she is America's sweetheart. <laughs> You see, this is why I like to meet celebrities on airplanes, because they can't get away. That's good. You know what I mean? That's Phil's situational awareness. They're pinned in. Now they got to talk to me. You're not going anywhere, Laura Dern. Yeah. Yeah. Didn't 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 you meet Andy McDowell on a plane? I didn't, no. In Vancouver, in the airport. She sat in a private area. Where I happen to also be sitting, so it was just her and I. Which means Phil followed her there. (laughs) (laughs) Right. And she was, I noticed that it was her, and it just happened to be like two days after Harold Ramis passed away, Mm -hmm. you know? And I said to her, I said, I'm sorry to hear about Harold. (laughs) And she looks up at me and she goes, who? (laughs) I go, go, Harold Ramis. You know, remember he directed you in Groundhog Day? You remember you were in that with Bill Murray? (laughs) He's attacking her. Yeah. <laughs> is, is, is that how you open, Phil? Excuse Listen, me. I was, I'm sorry I was, about Harold. Yeah. <laughs> like we're all friends. Yeah. We all hung out. Yeah. He should have said, hey, Andy. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Phil, I just want you to know that any anger that Andy McDowell might have had to you was just masking another emotion. I don't want you to take it personally. <laughs> yes. Don't take it personally. I want to thank my pal Peter Tolan. He was so much fun to talk to. And, honey, if they want to get a hold of us, where do they go? The Adam Ferrar at Gmail. Uh, the show is growing, and it's all because of you. Tell somebody you love. Hopefully, we can make them laugh, too. If you have time to uh, leave us a review, it helps us with our friend. Mr. Algorithm. And if you can't leave a review, maybe you can just text us. <laughs> <laughs> and please remember, life is hard. Take it easy on yourself. Pod is ended. Go in peace. Is that like when there's trouble with Batman, there's a bat signal that's in the sky? <laughs> yes, it, it, it's, it's a Phil Moon. Phil <laughs> Moon. Yes, it only comes out on Keister Sunday. Angie has made it easier than ever to connect with skilled professionals to get all your jobs done well. I absolutely love this because, you know, if you own a home, it can be really hard to maintain. It's hard to find people that can help you for a big project or a small. Well, whether it's in everyday maintenance and repairs or making dream projects a reality, it can be hard just to know where to start. But now all you need to do is answer that and find a skilled local pro who will deliver the quality and expertise you need. Angie has over 20 years of home service experience and they've combined it with new tools to simplify the whole process. Bring them your project online or with the Angie app answer a few questions and Angie can handle the rest from start to finish or help you compare quotes from multiple pros and connect instantly, which means you can take care of just about any home project in just a few taps because when it comes to getting the most out of your home, you can do this when you Angie that. Download the free Angie mobile app today or visit Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I dot com.